Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hit and Run podcast, where conversation collides. My name is Robbie Alexander, and I am joined, as always, by Natalie Dunn Billings. So I already told you this, but I still think it's a funny story because I messaged it to you. But obviously this morning, season six premiered, launched, (laughs) and we, to pull back the magic curtain of podcasting a little bit, the way we do it is Podbean is our home base. That's where we post the episode. And then from there, Podbean does the work of posting it to all the other platforms, including Facebook. Well, my Facebook is also connected not only with the Hit and Run Facebook page, because you have to connect a personal Facebook. It's also connected to all of my work clients' Facebook pages, because one of the things we do for them is their social media. And I've never had a problem of it cross-posting. I've been at this, this job for about a year now, a little over a year, have never had Podbean post to anybody but the Hit and Run podcast. So it posts this morning, right? And I come into work, not thinking much of it, and I go into my emails because that's what you do. You go to work, you open the emails right away. And I got an email from my boss. And let me just find this email real quick. says, uh, this is the second email this morning about odd post. Other was from a client. Something is fishy. Please change your passwords in Facebook and we'll discuss later this morning. And he forwarded one of the emails from the client who I won't name, but it said, hey, just deleted a Facebook post about women's health on our Facebook page. I think it may have been posted to the wrong company page. Did your company post it incorrectly? Uh, it posted this morning. Someone in our office noticed it. No big deal. And it didn't click with me right away. I just thought, oh, that's odd. So I changed my Facebook password. And then I thought, well, we talked about, I guess we technically talked about women's health because we talked about <laughs> your endometriosis. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, it, it's never done that. It can't be that. So I went to Facebook because one of the first things I do on Mondays is can take Facebook posts and then post them on the client's Google My Business page. And it always has a Facebook ad of, here's a post that you just had for so-and-so client. If you boost it, and it's trying to get Mm -hmm. us to pay for a boosted ad. And it was one of our clients that does uh, 1031 exchanges for real estate tax purposes. And then then the post was our episode. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shit. That's not good. So I deleted that one. And then I had to go through all 30-ish clients. And it posted, I don't know how it shows what clients to post to, but it posted to half of our clients. And That's so weird. I know. Luckily, they all got taken down. One of the client's employees liked it when it was posted on their page. I thought that was interesting. So we got one listen, maybe. Or maybe she just thought it was intentional. We'll have to see if we got like a weird boost of new listens at the beginning of the day today. If we got somebody from St. Louis, that's actually a good point. I haven't looked yet, but fun little that's anecdote really to start the day. Yeah, I was panicking. Now I'm going to be paranoid like, oh that's going to do oh that my to gosh. me too, though. Well, I'm going to go through later this week and make sure that it doesn't weirdly crossfire. Because when I posted it, I finished editing it last night. And when I went through Podbean and got everything ready, it said I had to relink my Facebook account. Mm. So I'm thinking something got messed up when I did that. But yeah, it was definitely a jolt to start my morning. I bet. But you know, pros and cons. (laughs) (laughs) At least. Peaks and valleys. No one was mad about it. That's true. My boss was just relieved that we weren't hacked. It wasn't spam. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've had, at one point last year, there was a bunch of websites got hacked. So we were like, shoot, did that happen again? Um, no, it was just it was just my dumb fault. <laughs> so then I emailed, I was like, nope, that was me. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
This was not intentional. <laughs> but listen to my podcast, maybe. But listen to my podcast. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good time. And we're on episode 53 now. Yes. And you are taking the point because I am working on my floors this week. So I'm kind of just <laughs> consumed with that. But what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about books. Yeah, and reading. Are. So I had this idea. I originally had this idea as one of our specials in between seasons. I thought it would be fun to do it like in January as like a talking about our 2021 in books because I know we both did a bunch of reading in 2021. But mm-hmm. now we're a little ways into 2022. So I think we can just kind of generally talk about books and reading and kind of see where it goes. But I guess first off, I wanted to just set a precedent. We've talked about books before on the show on and off, but just to like, I guess, clarify what genre of books do you like to read or what types of books do you like to read? I'm glad you asked that because that was going to be one of my first questions for you. I (laughs) almost exclusively read nonfiction books, really anything across the nonfiction spectrum, but I... I like reading to learn. That being said, I also like reading fiction once in a while. So essentially I'll read two or three nonfiction books and then I'll read a fiction book to kind of break it up. The Mm -hmm. fiction I read is generally well-known fiction. And what I mean by that is I have my Goodreads pulled up right now and I'm just going through my books read list. And I've read The Hobbit last year. I read 1984. And then I read Animal Farm. Actually, I read Animal Farm on the way back from your wedding. I finished it in one day. <laughs> the And I drove half of that, so I read it in like three hours. But I, I'd say 90% of the books I read is nonfiction. The other thing I do now, though, is me and Hillary have started reading Agatha Christie mysteries. Mm-hmm. And she'll read two chapters, I'll read two chapters, and then we'll discuss it. It's almost like a book club, but we're trying to figure out who the killer is and mm-hmm. figure out the mystery. I've done terrible so far. We've done two of them. <laughs> the one we're about to start is Death on the Nile so we can see the movie that just came out. But to make a long story short, I mainly read nonfiction. I like mysteries sometimes and I am very interested in fiction that's well known, probably because it goes back into the, the nonfiction reasons for reading. I enjoy learning. And if I'm reading a book that's well known that has some historical context and kind of treads the line of nonfiction because you're reading it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. What about you? <laughs> um, my reading tastes have definitely evolved over the last few years. Um, I have always liked um, I've always liked nonfiction in the category of like biography and autobiography, um, mm. you know, reading about interesting people's lives. But I also, um, when I was younger, weirdly, I almost exclusively read historical nonfiction, sometimes historical fiction, but I didn't like historical fiction because I, it wasn't historical. Um, so that was when I was like in high school and college, I really only read like nonfiction or like literally textbooks, like history books. Um, I I no longer can do that. I cannot sit down and read like a history book for fun. Not fun to me anymore. But I also have, I've definitely um, come a long way in being open-minded to a lot of different genres that I wasn't before. Um, I've mentioned this on the show before. Um, Basically everything I've said about my music tastes in like high school and middle school, apply that to my reading tastes as well. I thought I was too good for like mainstream fiction. I thought that I was too good for fantasy. I thought I didn't like fantasy. Um, My sister read Harry Potter and I thought that was dumb and I wasn't going to read it. 
And now here we are, and I have read Lord of the Rings. I have read a lot of fantasy. I've actually pretty much exclusively read fantasy for the last um, year or so, and I love it. Fantasy is definitely one of my main genres at this point, along with general like dramatic fiction, narrative fiction. I really like strong character stories. So stories that are fiction, but maybe a little bit autobiographical. And I've also kind of reached the point in the last few years where I'm kind of tired of reading stories about like, American white people, European mm. white people. Mm-hmm. And so well, I've you had really... that book club last year, not to interrupt you, but you had the diversity book club that I mm-hmm. didn't participate in. <laughs> Sorry, I was very That's busy okay. last spring. But I know Hillary read a couple books and she mm-hmm. loved doing that with you. I know you read... There's only one that's coming to mind, but the Code Talkers book, that's Mm -hmm. still on our bookshelf. That's something I want to get to by the end of this year. It's a great book. Um, It's a great story. But yeah, so I've found myself really drawn to these narratives that are written by people with different lives than I have or different experiences than I have. So A lot of my favorite books in the last year and a half have been books that are incredibly eye-opening. A lot of them are really sad, um, devastating sometimes, but I am really, I guess you say, you know, you read to learn and I also read to learn, but to me, reading is a chance to kind of like experience other things that are not in my everyday life. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of why I like fantasy because there's no dragons in my life, but also, (laughs) um, you know. The the other stories that I will, I'm sure, talk about more specifically as we get into this. But um, so the next question that I have is off the top of your head in the last maybe, I guess we'll say year and a half, like basically 2021 through now, what's like your top book? What's the one that just immediately comes to the top of your head? See, I have both mine and yours. Uh, Goodreads pulled up right now. (laughs) So one thing that kind of separates me from you, you read all through high school, you read all through college. I read a lot when I was younger, pretty much sixth grade and below, Mm -hmm. until Christmas of 2019. I did not read for pleasure. I Mm -hmm. barely liked reading for school. And when I say that, I mean, I did not like reading for school. (laughs) I found no interest in reading. Even in AmeriCorps, I had a bunch of teammates that would read and I picked up a couple books and wouldn't even get past the first chapter. For some reason, after AmeriCorps, I don't know what clicked in my head, but I started to like reading again. And the book that specifically sucked me back in was for Christmas, we gave my dad a Joe Kenda book. And Joe Kenda is a detective from Colorado Springs, retired. He's on ID Discovery, Homicide Hunter, which is a very interesting show. I read that book in three days. It was incredible. (laughs) And since then, I go through ebbs and flows, but I'm always at least actively reading a book. Even though I might go two weeks without reading, I'm always trying to read. That being said, that's a very tough question because there's a lot of books that I've really enjoyed and that have And we can talk about many of them. Yes. We can talk about many of them, but no cop-outs, one book. In the last year, you said, right? Since the beginning of 2021. It's the beginning of 2021. Okay, so that takes out Catch and Kill, which I read end of 2020, which was incredible. All right, all right. Let me, since the beginning of the pandemic, how about that? Okay, well. So mid-2020. I'm going to try to stick to your original question, though. Because I actually have some books I'd like to discuss specifically in that whole window. So. Can, I, can I do one? I'm, I want to list one nonfiction, and I want to list one fiction. You can do that, but I'm going to make you choose which one you like more. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to do an honorable mention. Ah, oh, there's okay. so many good ones. <laughs> we'll just post our Goodreads. I always say we're going to post stuff on Facebook. We never do. But let's actually <laughs> try to post our Goodreads. Okay. Um, so for my favorite nonfiction I've read so far, and it's hard to say favorite because I loved all these books, but the one that sticks to me and has stuck to me the most was 1984 because that book is just a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. For nonfiction, that's a tough one. Oh, because I really love the book I'm reading right now and I'm almost done with it for certain reasons. But then there's two other books that I have. <laughs> I also like that one too. Let's see. Ugh, okay, I'm just gonna go with the book I'm about to finish up that I've been reading since January, and that is The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. That book has been incredible, and it's so complex. It talks about so many different topics of the American food chain in whole, and yet it all does a very good job of encapsulating one specific theme, which is the dilemma of when you go to the dinner table, what are you choosing to eat and why? Mm -hmm. And there's just so many different things that go into it than the casual diner thinks about. But once you start diving into the industrial food chain versus the organic food chain versus the small farm, everything's on one site and this versus that and the ethicality of eating meat versus going fully vegetarian or eating meat that's sustainably sourced. There's just so many things that go into it. And he's finishing up the book right now as going on the hunter-gatherer version. So he just went hunting. Now he's going mushroom hunting. There's just so much. And it's just so interesting. And you think so much through not only what he's going through, but also what you're going through, what your friends are going through. And it's just the end goal is making you a more conscious eater and being more conscious of what you're actually putting in your body. Another reason I'm enjoying this book so much is because he has a follow-up book that I'm going to read, probably not right away. I'll probably read a book in between, but it's called In Defense of Food, which starts going in even deeper of, okay, this is what we've laid out in Omnivore's Dilemma. Now that you know all of this, you need to start being more conscious in what you're eating. Here's some tips to start getting you in that direction. Mm -hmm. So it's just been an incredible read. He's been in the news recently. He started writing books on drugs and specifically psychedelics. His most famous one right now, or at least the one that's in the press, is This Is Your Mind on Plants Mm -hmm. because of the famous anti-drug campaign, This Is Your Mind on Drugs. That was how he spun the title. I've listened to a couple podcasts with them. It was Mm -hmm. late 2020, early 2021 this book came out. So it's fairly recent, but it's about specifically psychedelics. My mom's not going to want me to say this, but I'm very interested in at least reading the book. That's that's something (laughs) I'd be open to is Mm -hmm. for for lack of a better term. But he's a a very good, (laughs) I can't think of the word off the top of my head. He's a really good writer. Mm -hmm. It's just from the, the very first sentence, you're, you're in the book and he, he takes you on a journey. He doesn't overcomplicate things. It's a lot like Ronan Farrow. They're probably my two favorite authors since I've started reading again. They just, they don't get bogged down in the technicality of writing. They just present the facts in a very linear yet entertaining fashion and something that you can easily digest. Mm-hmm. So that's probably my, uh, my top book right now. I don't know if it's biased because I'm currently reading it, mm-hmm. but there's been a couple chapters in that book that I've really, really enjoyed kind of going through that journey with him. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very interesting. I, I highly recommend it to you and anybody who, 
who's listening. <laughs> because it, he's not forcing one way or the other is another good thing. He's not forcing you to be a vegetarian or, or knocking on vegetarians. It's, it, the whole argument is being more conscious of what you are putting in your body, not just for health benefits, but environmental benefits and sustainability is really the overarching theme is the sustainability of how you're consuming your food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's a little unfair because I was prepared for this question, but, um, I will say that if you just like walk up to me on the street and just say, what's your favorite book right now? Um, the book that immediately comes to my mind that I read as part of my book club, um, back in like late 2020 actually, but it was just one of those books that has just stuck with me so strongly. And there's another book too, that is kind of like that, um, that I'd like to talk about, but this is the one that is like top read of the last year and a half, but also just one of my top reads ever. Um, it's called A Woman Is No Man by Etaf Rum. And mm. it is an incredible, this is one of those ones I was talking about where it's technically fiction, but it's a little bit autobiographical. The author has had some of these experiences and it is fascinating. Um, it is heartbreaking, but the story is so well written and the narrative is so well put together that it is just, this was a book, it was part of my book club. So I was reading it in sections. It was the first book that we read in the book club where I struggled to stop reading when I was supposed to. And I was just, I mean, I was sitting down and reading the whole section in one sitting. I could have read this book in one day probably. Um, but the premise is it follows essentially three generations of an Arab American family. So it starts in... I want to say Palestine. Um, Yeah, I don't want to get the country wrong. Um, They're from Palestine. And it starts with this woman whose name is Isra. And she is in Palestine and she gets married off to a man who lives in America. And so then it's her journey leaving Palestine and living in America as an Arab American immigrant. And then it also follows her daughter, Dea, and her mother-in-law, whose name I can't remember. Yeah, it's not in the uh, book description. So I can't remember her mother-in-law's name. But... It follows essentially these three generations of this family and it is so good. Like I said, it is heartbreaking. It is incredibly like emotionally impactful, but it has stayed with me for the last year and a half. I mean, I think about this book all the time and um, that to me is like the mark of a good book where I just think of it like just out of nowhere. Um, but as, I mean, as a woman, it's especially impactful because it is kind of about like their experience, Mm -hmm. but it's also an immigration story. It's also just a story of like being away from your culture, but also it's about their culture. And so it's, it's fascinating. It is such a good book. Um, so that's definitely my top read of the last like year and a half. And you said it's fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Okay. Is it on Goodreads? Mm -hmm. I might've just spelled it wrong. Um, (laughs) if you had to pinpoint what, I know you kind of just went over the, the the list of why it stayed with you but if you had to pinpoint one specific thing that really stuck with you from this book what would it be um well obviously i don't want to spoil anything because Mm -hmm. the part of the i wouldn't say it's a mystery it's just the narrative kind of like leads you on this journey and you don't really put all the pieces together until the very end and like that moment in the end where you do put all the pieces together is one of the most like like i had to put the book down and like take a walk it was so like oh my god um it's just like gut-wrenching but at the same time like everything clicks together and the the story is just constructed so well that it's like i think about that page of the book all the time when Mm -hmm. when i'm reading other books or when i'm like just thinking something reminds me of the story something reminds me of one of the characters that's what i think about is like reading the last page of that book and everything suddenly coming together and that feeling would you ever reread any book but this book in particular i'm not 
a huge rereader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there is value to rereading books like this where it is kind of like putting a puzzle together. Because I think on the second read, when you have all the context, you pick up details that you didn't the first time, you know? Right. So yeah, I think I definitely like would reread it. Okay. Mm-hmm. How long does it have to be before you would pick that book up again? Probably a little, little while longer. I um I don't want this to sound like, like I'm not bragging, but I have a really good memory like for books specifically. Mm-hmm. So it takes me a while to like feel like a book is fresh. So probably at least another couple of years. Okay. That that I'll have to pick up because like I said, I don't read a lot of fiction, but you've you've definitely piqued my interest <laughs> right there. Now, when you say you're not reading books on white European men, is that across the board, fiction and nonfiction? Not 100%. Like I, it's not that I won't read a book written by a white man. Like one of my favorite series, fantasy series is written by a white man, but that doesn't, I was having this conversation with Sam the other day. Um, not judging. I, I, right. you know, I applaud you. It's hard you. to explain, but um, like, I don't care about, I just don't have the mental interest in reading a book that's set in like modern America mm. in like, with like some white people, you know, right. like that just doesn't hold my interest anymore. I've, I've read enough of those stories. I've seen enough of those stories. And like, I, that's like, I would never pick up a book willingly and read a book about a family that lives in the Midwest in the early 2000s, you know, because that's, that's my lived yeah. experience and I don't need to hear that story um, unless it's like something crazy, you know, but I feel the same way about like, I don't know, every time I see a new movie that's coming out that's like set in like 1700s London, I don't care. I have seen so many movies and TV shows and read so many books that are set in 1700s London. I don't care. I would rather read a book about a woman who lives in Africa because that is something I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. That's a story I've never heard before. Not only you, but most people. Right. In America. And it's a story that needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I like actively avoid books that are written by white men. It's just that when I'm seeking out new books, I'm very much a person like if someone recommends a book to me, I will read it unless it's like I read the description and I am like, I hate that book. I'll read it. Um, especially if it's someone who like has similar taste to me. Like most of the books that I've read in the last year have been recommended to me by um, my friend Brittany because she and I read very similar books and I know she has good taste and she reads a lot more than I do. So she just always has suggestions for me. Mm-hmm. So if she says read something, I don't even read the description. I just read it. So it's not like I'm actively avoiding those books. But if I'm seeking out something to read, I just go looking for stories that are different. Right. Now, are you somebody that if you don't like the book, you'll put it down? Or are you somebody who if you start a book, you have to finish it. Even if you don't like it, you just slog through. I have a really hard time not finishing books. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Frame of reference. I finished Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And did I enjoy that experience? Absolutely not. Well, you enjoyed the non-Frodo parts, mm, which... A little bit. Oh, maybe. I thought you enjoyed the other parts, which is I the enjoyed... same as the movie. You get to the Frodo parts and you're... <laughs> eh. I guess I enjoyed... I'll watch this to get back to uh, Aragorn and, and Gimli and Gandalf. I enjoyed pieces of it. Okay. Do I regret reading it? Probably not. Would I ever read it again? Absolutely not. Would I ever recommend someone read it? Absolutely not. Okay, that was my next question. So Hillary just bought a copy of Lord of the Rings. She mainly bought it for the bookshelf. She does want to read it at some point, but it's a very artistic book. It's a white cover. The pages on 
on the edges are red and it has elvish script on it. Mm -hmm. So we have it now. And I knew you read it. So I was wondering, do you think I should read it? Listen, I'm not telling you not to, but I did not enjoy my time with it. And it's a it lot of time. It just felt like it's a lot of time. It took me five months to read that book. Yeah, and I that's remember. just because. That was the beginning of COVID. Yeah, that was my like beginning of COVID. That was my quarantine project was to read Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And it took me five months. And that's not because I like it literally took me that long to read it, but I, I had to stop. And like right. I couldn't read for very long at a time because it was just so much. But I could bitch about Lord of the Rings all day long. And um, not in a good way. No, absolutely not. See, we had a um, teammate in AmeriCorps when we were in New Mexico. His name's Evan. And Hillary is a massive Lord of the Rings fan. And mm -hmm. so he started reading the book because he's also a heavy reader. And from chapter one, he did not enjoy it. <laughs> and so everybody, including Hillary, kept telling him, well, just put it down. And he said, no, I got to finish it. So he would read <laughs> a couple hours every night. And I don't know if he finished by the end of Taos, but I mean, he plowed through that book. <laughs> and so that's two people that I know that finished it and it's, weren't huge fans. I mostly finished it so that I could say I read it and I could like feel justified in complaining about it. Mm. You know, like I read the whole thing. So I now feel like I have every right to complain about how awful it is. <laughs> You've read The Hobbit, I assume, right? Actually, no. No. Okay. Well, The Hobbit is I've number heard one. It's, it's better. It's quicker. It mm -hmm. was written for children. It is more enjoyable. I will say, because I read The Hobbit beginning of last year. Reading The Hobbit, I did enjoy it, but I could tell Tolkien's writing style. I can see how people struggle through Lord of the Rings because even in The Hobbit, there's a couple, and I'm not knocking on Tolkien. He's an incredible writer, one of the best. He gets a little long-winded sometimes. And in a, you could say in that. A, in a longer book, it, it was fine in The Hobbit because it's such a short story, but in a longer book, I could see how that can get difficult. Yeah, I... I can't recommend it, really, but do whatever you want. <laughs> well, I'm not reading it this year. I have too many books on my, my want-to-read list. I'm, um, on, I'm on your red list right now. It looks like you've gotten into the uh, Heroes of Olympus series as of recent. Yes, so um, I did. So like I said, when I was a kid, I thought that I hated fantasy. I thought I was too good for it. So I never read Percy Jackson. I never read Harry Potter. I actually did try to read Harry Potter, and at this point, I'm not interested. Um, I've yeah, seen I've all the movies. Watched, yeah. Yeah. It's whatever. I read The um, Abridged Sorcerer's Stone in third grade, <laughs> and I read the final two chapters of the last book, mainly because <laughs> when it came out, my dad, Cody, and Jordan all read it, and nobody mm -hmm. would tell me how it finished. So on the way to dinner <laughs> one night, because it came out when we were in Trevor City, I just read it on the way to dinner, and they hadn't finished it yet, and I was like, fine, whatever. <laughs> I got what I wanted from this. Um, yeah, at this point, it's too late for Harry Potter. I'm not interested, and also, I know too much. I would not enjoy reading the books, but I never read Percy Jackson, and so Sam recently got back into reading. He was kind of similar where he used to read for fun when he was a kid, but then he stopped in college, and so um, he was trying to get back into reading, and he wanted to reread the Percy Jackson series because he never finished it as a kid, but he really liked it. Mm -hmm. um, Sam Sam is really into like mythology. He is really interested in that. So, um, so he bought all five books of Percy Jackson. And so I was like, sure, I'll read them. I never did. Um, and they're really great. And then I actually read the second Percy Jackson series, which um, he wrote later that mm -hmm. it's five more books and they're much longer. So I read 
all 10 Percy Jackson books. Here I am. You never could have told 16-year-old me that I'd be here, but you know, I also play D&D now. So 16-year-old me would not think that was cool. <laughs> but then you get older and you, you embrace what you like and you don't mm-hmm. care anymore. And it's such a good feeling. It is. I really enjoyed the Percy Jackson books. They're technically like children's fiction, but I liked it. I really like Rick Riordan's writing. Um, the characters are fun. The stories are fun. And honestly, like by the time you get to like the end of the second series, it, you get a little attached. So I did enjoy that. That was a big chunk of my um, reading in the last like six months. I finished those. I finished Percy Jackson over Christmas. And then I started reading the second series at the beginning of this year. And it took me about a month to get through them all. But um, so that being said, aside from your like top favorite books, I guess, what are some of your honorable mentions? I know um, we only have like maybe 10, 15 minutes left in the show, right. but I guess, you know, what are like your, give me three honorable mentions from your reading list. Three honorable mentions. Well, Ronan Farrow only has two books. So I'm just going to say Ronan Farrow is my honorable, honorable mention <laughs> for one of them. And that is the war on peace, the end of diplomacy and the decline of American influence, which I got Cody to read right now. And boy, howdy, that book will ring true for ages and not in a good way. <laughs> And then obviously his other book, uh, Catch and Kills, Lies, Spies, and a Conspiracy to Protect Predators, which is about his investigation of the Harvey Weinstein uh, sexual abuse scandal, as well as he ended up uncovering Matt Lauer and just the whole fallout of NBC. So Ronan Fair is my number one. And I'm going to stick with books from I read in 2021 or 2020 onward. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to do within within the last year, I'll say. So Ronan Fair is number one. Number two, I'm like scrolling up when I keep. No, I think I think I got them. Number two, I will say is you never forget your first, a biography of George Washington. Now, you were talking about how you have no interest in, sorry, motorcycle's going by. <laughs> now you were saying you have no interest in books written on or by white European men. This book is this book is written by a woman, Alexis Coe. And in the very first chapter of the book, she just shreds books that have been written about George Washington and about <laughs> the man crushes. And mm-hmm. she calls them the thigh men because apparently, I haven't ever read any other George Washington biographies, but apparently the most well-known ones always have a chapter dedicated to how amazing and muscular and manly George Washington's thighs were. So she spends the first chapter just completely breaking down the stereotypes and this persona of the great George Washington rips all these other authors for just building him up, spends a ton of time breaking down all these falsities that have been spread about George Washington to, to really build up him as our, our original founding father. Not to say that he didn't do incredible things, but she spends this book saying he did a lot of great things. He did a lot of shitty things too. He was a man that had faults and issues of his own and tried his best, but didn't do the right thing a lot of the time. He was arrogant. He was sick a lot of the time. He essentially started the French Indian War. So it was a, it was a very well written book. It was it was interesting and she did a, I'm waiting for her to write more books because I much like Ronan Farrow and Michael Pollan, I loved her writing style, but it was also very refreshing to read a book about a 
well-known person, but read it in a new lens. Mm -hmm. So that's my second honorable mention for a book I read in the last year. My third was end of 2020, and it was actually given to me as a birthday present by uh, our mutual friend, Jen Reimer, otherwise known as Dad. And it is The World According to Tom Hanks, The Life Obsessions the good deeds of America's most decent guy. And it's a very fun biography of Tom Hanks. It's a section that's, there's three sections to it. There's the biographical section, which essentially tells the story of Tom Hanks from childhood to now. There's the section of how to live like Tom Hanks, and it kind of talks about the quirks and things he does. For example, Tom Hanks loves typewriters, and he loves writing letters on typewriters. <laughs> so there's a section dedicated to things that Tom Hanks does that could add more joy to your life. The third section is essentially a rundown of his discography, mm -hmm. and it not only talks about his role in the movie, but what it was like for him to shoot the movie, Movie, the cultural significance, the personal significance it had on him. The author didn't interview him in person, but had an email correspondence while he was writing this book. So there's a lot of quotes from Tom Hanks. So if you love Tom Hanks, if you love just quirky reads, um, I very much recommend this book. This one's by Gavin Edwards. He has a lot of books on celebrities. I think he has one on Jeff Goldblum, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he has one on the Beatles. He's, he's a very quirky writer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading more books by him. But I'd say those are my three honorable mentions. Tom Hanks, You Never Forget Your First, and anything written by Ronan Farrow, including his articles. Nice. What about you? Because um, you read well, way more than I do. Because how many books? I read 17 books last year, which I was flabbergasted that I read that many. You've already read 15 this year, completed according to your Goodreads, and are currently reading three right now. I've only yes. completed three books <laughs> this year. So you have a way larger, and you've also been reading more consistently throughout the years. I just started reading again a couple years ago. So you have a way more massive list of books that you have to choose from. <laughs> I do, but also my problem is that I read a lot of series. So like three books are all like the same. You I mean, know, I did a cop list. out. So you can do a <laughs> cop out and say series. You can say um, authors. I kind of just cracked your question and broke it. So I apologize. <laughs> if you want to stay okay. to your original terms, be my guest. <laughs> That is okay. Um, so the first book I want to mention is the one I said earlier that's the other book that like just stays with me constantly. And I would say this book even more so. Um, it's called Parable of the Sour. It's written by Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. She is a very prolific um, sci-fi writer. Um, she was actually one of the first. She's a black woman and she was one of the first like women sci-fi writers as well as um, like African-American sci-fi writers. And so she's... I love her writing. I love her prose and her um, just her style of writing and her characters. But also mm -hmm. um, the first book I read by her was this book, Parable of the Sour. And um, it wasn't part of my book club. It was when my book club was on hiatus over the holiday. Brittany and I um, did like a little mini book club and we read this book and its sequel together. So this book, um, it's essentially, so it was written in the 1980s and it takes place in the 2020s. It is a terrifyingly accurate portrayal 
portrayal of the United States in the futuristic 2020s. Um, I think about this book, I would say I think about this book on a daily basis, like quite literally really? almost every day of my life, I think of this book. Because the world that she created as this futuristic, and they always say, you know, sci-fi and, you know, these like dystopian futures, they're not make-believe, they're like, they're not predictions for the future, they're projections of things that authors see in the world now. And Octavia Butler was incredible at that. Um, so this book takes place in, like I said, the 2020s. Um, it follows the main character, Lauren, who is living in, I'm referencing the description here because I'm not good at summarizing plots concisely. No, you're good. Um, and it sounds like this book is a lot. It is a lot. So it takes place in 2025 or it starts in 2025. But Lauren Alamina, she and her family live in one of the only safe neighborhoods remaining on the outskirts of Los Angeles. Behind the walls of their defended enclave, Lauren's father, who's a preacher, and handful of other citizens try to salvage what remains of a culture that has been destroyed by drugs, disease, war, and chronic water shortages. While her father tries to lead people on the righteous path, Lauren struggles with hyper-empathy, a condition that makes her extraordinarily sensitive to the pain of others. When fire destroys their compound, Lauren's family is killed, and she is forced out into a world that is fraught with danger. With a handful of other refugees, Lauren must make her way north to safety, along the way conceiving a revolutionary idea that may mean salvation for all mankind. So um, basically, it just takes place in this, like, you know, futuristic United States where it only rains in California once every six years. Um oh, there are there's essentially no real control from like government or police all the police do is just like charge people fines they can't afford and beat people up and um drugs are a huge problem the streets like literally aren't safe like they have these walls that protect them from the outside but if you leave the walls um you have to be able to carry a gun and you have to go in groups and you have to go out during the day you can't go out at night it's not safe and um once they leave the compound and you start seeing like more of the condition of the whole country it is just it haunts you because these things I mean I have to say when last summer and I know this is not a problem that was just last summer but last summer as I'm like reading news coverage about the wildfires and like what things are like in California in the summer now and I'm reading these stories of people who are like living out of suitcases because the fire keeps coming back for their houses and it's mm. like I'm recognizing these same the same stories that this woman wrote 40 years ago and it it is just, it is like so, I don't have the right word for it, but I think of this book on a daily basis. Um, haunting. But it's haunting. That's a good word it for it. It sounds almost like 1984, but in a completely different way where mm -hmm. it's in a, a, a different part of life. 1984 mm -hmm. is more political. This is more socioeconomics in a way and environmental. Yeah. That's terrifying. What did you say that's called? Um, Parable of the Sour. And it has a sequel. It was actually supposed to be a trilogy, but Octavia Butler died before she could write the third book. Mm -hmm. But the second book is still worth reading. The second book is actually even more terrifying because I was reading this in like late summer of 2020 and the second book is political and it's mm -hmm. like scarily political um like the big thing that's happening in that book is there's a presidential election and basically there's a candidate who is a normal human and there's a candidate who is an extremely religious figurehead who doesn't control the extremists but the extremists worship him and um yeah. this book was written in the 80s and i am not joking when i say that in the 80s the back of this book 
literally talks about the like I read the description of this book before I started reading it and I was like are you fucking kidding me the presidential candidate literally uses the slogan make America great again oh it's horrifying oh that's cringy oh so cringy So those books are definitely worth the read. Like they're a great read. They are haunting. Um, I don't read a ton of like super happy books, unfortunately, um, because I read a lot of fantasy and like sci-fi and also dramatic fiction. So that's one. Um, I feel like I need to call on like the different genres. So that's kind of covers like the, I don't read a ton of like dystopian stories, but every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So then another, my other honorable mention is, I guess this would be an author, but specifically a series. So if you read fantasy at all, you've probably heard of Brandon Sanderson. He is he is one of the most um, one of the most, I think, probably well known fantasy authors of like the current era. He's actively writing books like he just released. He just announced that he's written four books in the last year. This man's insane. And they're all good. And they're all good is the crazy thing. He had this Kickstarter where he was like, if I raise this much, I'm going to write one book. If I raise this much, I'm going to write two books. And it was like he exceeded his goal by like four times. And so now he just like, surprise, I wrote four books and it's nuts. Um, But his one of his original series is I think it might be his original series. Um, It's called the Mistborn series. It's a trilogy. And this was another recommendation to me by Brittany. Um, She really dictates what I read, whatever she recommends to me, I read. Um, but she was kind of the one who was like, here's a really great like intro fantasy series that's really good. The magic system is incredible. The characters are amazing and the story is so good. So it's a pretty, I wouldn't say it's like a 100%. Um, it is. It's a super typical fantasy narrative. Like there's a chosen one and there's a threat and you know, this is threatening the world and she's got to fix it and whatever. But it's really good. I love it. Um, I really am looking forward to reading more Brandon Sanderson. I've been avoiding it because I'm afraid that if I just start reading only Brandon Sanderson, I'll just only read Brandon Sanderson for the rest of my life because he has a lot of books and the other series, like his other main series, they're called the Stormlight Archives and they're like 1200 page books. So once I start on that series, um, there's no going back. So I'm kind of waiting on that one. Right. But the Mistborn series is amazing for anyone who enjoys fantasy, especially if you're like looking to get into fantasy. It's a really great introduction. Um, And Sam is currently reading them. He's in the middle of the second book right now and he is also enjoying it. Turns out my recommendation was accurate. I've been telling him to read it since I read it, which was like a year ago now. And uh, he's like, these are actually pretty good. Yeah, I know. I told you. Um, So now Sam will only read those books. Um, And then let's see my third one. Oh, I've totally seen. Sorry, I just looked it up. I've totally seen the cover (laughs) of these books. Probably. Let's see. I'm trying to think off the top of my head what's another like category of books that I read. Well, let's see. Let me go to your Goodreads. (laughs) I'm looking at my Goodreads. Um, okay, here's another of my honorable mentions. So this one is one that I actually learned about through work. Um, it's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And this book I highly recommend to anyone, but especially anyone who is interested in the medical field, works in the medical field, is even somewhat related to the medical field. Um, but also if you're interested in like anti-racist reading, because this book is a really incredible story about a woman named 
Henrietta Lacks, who um, essentially during her life, she was a poor black woman and she went to a hospital to be treated for cervical cancer. And when they were treating her for cervical cancer, they took some of her cells without telling her and they used them in testing and essentially learned that her cells had this incredible property that they have used to develop some of the most um, prolific medical advancements in the last century. Um, The polio vaccine was created using HeLa cells. um, And so she was never notified. She died from cervical cancer. um, And actually from the treatment of the cervical cancer was kind of what killed her. But um, she she died. Her family was never notified that her cells were being used. They were never made aware of it. She was never given any recognition. And until very recently when they finally told her family. And so this book though is incredible because it talks about um, this author and her journey to write this book about Henrietta Lacks and give her the recognition she deserves, but also like her experience meeting the family, learning what their experience was like, learning what their relationship was like with their mother. Like it's fascinating. Um, It's incredible. It's just the book itself is so well written that the content almost doesn't matter. I mean, you could read a book written by this woman and in this format and it would be good regardless of what it was about. But then when you take the subject matter as well, like it is just such a good read and a very like socially responsible read because I mean, all of us have been affected by HeLa cells. Yeah, whether we know it or not. Right. And so it is definitely one of my top reads. All right. I think we both got some good books to read now. We need Definitely. to talk about books more often. <laughs> that was a that was a good episode. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how you feel, but I, I felt great doing that. <laughs> How about, I have a proposal. Okay. How about instead of a what we learned today, we do a one book we're looking forward to reading this year. Ooh. Or three books. Let's do three books. Okay. Instead of what we learned, three books that are on our list for this year. Okay. But before we get to that, if you liked what you heard, make sure you check us out everywhere you listen to podcasts and watch our Facebook page for important updates, mainly just episode posts. But if we remember, we'll post something else. (laughs) So Natalie, well, do you want me to go first? Because this was kind of your show. Would you like to wrap up the show? Or do you want to go first? first. You can go first. Okay. Natalie, what are you looking forward to reading to this year? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great question. Um, One book is, it's called Hooked, How Crafting Saved My Life. It's an autobiography written by Sutton Foster, who is um, a very extremely talented Broadway actress who I love. um, And I'm really looking forward to reading her book whenever I get around to it. I am all also looking forward to reading. See, my problem is that my to read list is out of control. Oh, that, um, I'm, that's what I'm trying to. I'm especially because synthesizing the three. I just recently, like my TikTok started skewing toward book talk. So now I'm getting book recommendations on my TikTok and it's bad. It's very <laughs> bad. Um, Let's see. Mm. Another one is called The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. I've been told that it is a very, very good standalone fantasy book. Um, it's not a series. It's just one book, but I been told it is really, really good. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Another book that's been on my list for a really long time that I'm hoping to get around to soon is called Blind Spot, Hidden Biases of Good People. Um, I've heard that it's really good and it talks a lot about like data bias and um, just some really interesting things about how, about um, essentially structural racism, but um, it's supposed to be a really interesting take on it. So one book I'm looking forward to reading to this year, much like you, I'm trying to narrow it down, but this is a book I actually got about a third of the way through and then the 2020 election happened and I just never got a chance to pick it up and it was a library book so I had to take it back <laughs> but I found it at half price books this win- 
Gardner. So now I'm going to read it. It's unthinkable what the world's most extraordinary brains can teach us about our own. This is by Helen Thompson. Another book I'm looking forward to reading this year is one that Cody actually recommended to me and he read it last summer. It's called Eating Animals. It's you can pretty much <laughs> gather what it's about. In the third book I am looking forward to reading this year is another book that Cody recommended. He actually just finished reading it while he was in St. Louis. It's by Cal Newport. It's called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World because as somebody who gets distracted very easily and is trying to minimalize my time on social media and just, I, it's, I get caught in the loophole of the constant scrolling and everything and I've gotten better at it but Cody highly recommended this book. He has a podcast that I listen to. He's a computer scientist that works at Georgetown. I believe he went to MIT. Um, kind of an odd guy, but I think he has a lot of good ideas. So those are the, the three books I'm looking forward to. This has been the Hit and Run podcast. Read a book and we'll catch you next time. Bye.